You know those times when someone says, that's so cute, I just want to crush it. Well, it's kind of weird, and yet we can all more or less relate to that. Whether it's pinching a baby's face, hugging a teddy bear tighter than a wrestling joint lock, or even reading popular children's stories where wild things yell, please don't go, we'll eat you up, we love you so. There's an obvious pattern here. And guess what? That pattern not only has a name, it may be neurologically rooted. More on that to come on today's topic of cute aggression with a scientist whose research helped to coin that term. Coming to you from the ReachMD studios in Fort Washington, Pennsylvania, I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. Joining me is Dr. Oriana Aragon, psychologist and assistant professor of marketing at Clemson University. Dr. Aragon, welcome to the program. Well, thank you for having me. Great to have you with us. So let's start by talking about what initially sparked your interest in this phenomenon. It's definitely unusual, but fascinating. You know, it's, it is funny. So I was a grad student at the time at Yale University, and, you know, a lot of our research comes from these really scholarly places, right? You're reading journals and articles and building upon the shoulders of others. But actually, this, this particular research idea came from watching late-night television. I was watching Conan O'Brien, and I'm really interested in emotion and its expression and its communication. And Conan O'Brien had a guest on there, Leslie Bibb, an actress. And she was talking about this, like, cute little puppy, and it was just so cute. And the, the way that she was responding, she was, like, gritting her teeth. She was clenching her fists. She was scrunching her nose and, and you know, just really had corrugator muscle going, you know, just like this, this really what would be a canonical face of aggression, right? And she was like, oh, it's just so cute. And I, and I saw that, and I thought, oh, that's weird. And Conan O'Brien actually made, you know, some comments. Of course, he, he made fun of her. But the, the next day on the phone with my father, I mentioned what I'd seen. And he goes, you know, is that really that much different than someone pinching cheeks? You know, or, you know, grandparents pinching cheeks. How cute is that baby? And that's when it kind of clicked. So actually, he's the one who clicked it, not me. But, but it clicked in my head. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And then I started to think of all the times that our face looks a little bit what you would consider like normatively different than how you feel on the outside. So like we cry, we look devastated when we win the lottery. You know, we, we, we cry when we see people that we love, that we miss. We, we laugh when we're nervous. You, you look like you're in pain when you taste a delicious dessert or hear amazing music. And, and I started thinking about all these instances. And so that's really what got this all going was that initial seeing Leslie Bibb, and it really was from the very onset, I was thinking that this was a range of expressions that might have a certain, a special class unto themselves just because they're not normatively what you call congruent, like what's happening on the inside. If you were to just take a snapshot of what's going on on the outside, it doesn't, it doesn't exactly match in the way that we think things should match. And so for the cute, for the cute work, we, used, we started there because cuteness really does attract and inspire people's attention, and it engages people, and it really does elicit really strong emotional responses. And we've done so much research in psychology on the expression towards cuteness. So when you see something cute, you know, there's really strong, strong expressions of care and wanting to be close to it and wanting to nurture it. And so these things have been really well studied. So it was a really great place to start, starting with something that was well studied. We knew what sort of uh, expressions should occur with cuteness. And then looking to see, okay, does this actually happen? Do people actually do this secondary expression, this like, uh, this, you know, aggression? And then 
they do. Like a good portion of them do. Oh, yeah, I would agree with that. In fact, I would say half the memes out there today are entirely based on cute aggression or some form of dimorphous expression. <laughs> I think we can all relate to it. Although I think some of your research indicated not everybody has dimorphous expression or has what you might call cute aggression. I'm kind of curious as to that, as to why that might be. And moreover, how one even begins to study cute aggression and actually track and monitor it and define cuteness in a way that's measurable. Okay, so first of all, yeah, you're right. Not everyone does this. And in fact, there's another response to cuteness that even seems to be more ubiquitous. And that's sort of the pouty, downturned mouth, like extreme pout, oh, face, oh, so cute. And you just see this total crumpling of the face for the cuteness. And so there's 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 that one also. And not everybody does it. And I, I, I actually um, wrote a piece about this, trying to understand why some people might express this way and some people might not. And it could have just a couple thresholds or levers that need to sort of click for this to happen. So um, one, they only seem to, these dimorphous expressions only seem to come about when individuals, are experiencing pretty strong emotions. And so it could be that some folks, you know, just aren't experiencing emotions that strong. And maybe that's why they don't. There's another component to it also for us to regulate our emotional expressions. I mean, I'm sure you could maybe intuitively understand that, you know, when you're really tired or even younger people who, who you know, little children who aren't as experienced and sort of you know, controlling what's happening on the face and coming out of the mouth, you know, when you, when you have less experience or ability at the time because you're tired to control, it could be that those levers of control are different for some people than others. And it could just finally be that some people just absolutely do not express this way. And it's, it's funny because you think of those really intense life moments, like maybe the birth of a child, you know, and, and I think a majority of people might in this case, in fact, when I ask about it, a lot of people say that they, yes, they would or they did cry at the birth of a child, but there are, there is still a fraction, you know, even with that intense of an emotional situation, there's still a fraction of people that don't do that. So that's, that's the, the individual difference part. We're still working on that. And on that, that note about uh, control versus sort of natural I always wonder about this idea of what's performative, um, what we are, what we learn, and what's a natural type of expression. And the common trope that we we see outside of cuteness is, you know, somebody's crying, and and someone else will say, "What's wrong?" You know, and the person says, "I'm just so happy." And I want to ask you, based on some of your research, whether there was that um, investigation into what's a naturally imbued type of response, such as the "oh," <laughs> versus a learned pattern of behavior that for many people socially expresses a sense of, well, that must be cute. You know, that's, that's really an interesting question. So I think that a lot of this is spontaneous and not shaped as much by culture or social norming. And here's the reason why I say that. One of the very first things that I did was I started surveying and finding out if people even just know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about these sort of responses. And I checked here in the United States and clearly, you know, it was here. And then I thought, well, okay, what would be a good way for me to check around the world? So what I decided on was to 
look for phrases or expressions within languages around the world that indicate that so cute I want to bite it or pinch it or squeeze it or eat it. Or destroy it, of course. Those sort of expressions, sort of like what you talked about in the introduction, right? So I, I contacted experts in, you know, Zulu and Indonesian and, you know, just around the world and looked for these expressions. And indeed, they occurred almost everywhere. And you, you have to admit that there's pretty strong cultural differences when you go into different, you know, cultures around the world. And yet this seemed to be somewhat through line. So this sort of expressing. So I think that because of the way that it sort of is pan, that it's that's going around and cross culture, that would be sort of an indication that it may not be necessarily we're doing it just to norm here in the United States. I mean that was one of the very first concerns is that, you know, maybe we're just norming to something that's kind of a trend or kind of fun. Um, but that wouldn't show up in the languages around the world like that. It wouldn't show up unless it was like a, a brand new meme or, you know, a brand new type of, of, of expressing. But I, I didn't see it. Um, and this is before all the craze hit with acute aggression, because remember, it didn't exist. I was researching this when it was still very untouched, right? Now I can't do the things that I used to do when I was researching because it's a phenomenon now and everyone sort of has an idea of what it is. But when I was starting, no one was thinking about it in these terms. So it was kind of nice. Um, I could go to Google and put in so cute I and dot, 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 and then see what the top results would come out, you know, and, and I actually screenshotted and saved those from back when I was started this. And of course, it's all changed now because it's actually become sort of a thing. But yeah, I, I think that's pretty good evidence. Yeah. I mean, clearly we've learned something about both of us. You mentioned the dot, 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 and I filled it in with destroy it. And that probably says something about me. But for those just tuning in, <laughs> you're listening to ReachMD. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Oriana Aragon about the dimorphous expression of positive emotions and other emotions, also known as cute aggression. So Dr. Aragon, we've been talking a little bit about some of the, the groundwork, the foundation behind your work and what led to this, this concept of cute aggression. There have been some further studies that have tried to actually link to this to uh, neurological underpinnings and things going on with EEGs and the like. I want to talk to you a little bit about that. What kind of work has been done following up from the work that uh, you helped pioneer for cute aggression? So a lot of work has been done in trying to understand these um, dimorphous expressions. So um, from within my group, there's been a lot of work on looking at what they represent and what they communicate across different situations. So if you have like this aggressive expression, you know, it could happen because you're actually angry. It could happen because you're excited. It could happen because you're looking at something cute. It could happen because you feel accomplished as though you've just sort of nailed it, you know, that sort of a thing. And so what, one of the first things I did was I wanted to see, is there anything in common when we just have this aggressive expression? Is there anything that I can say, any through line that I can say when this expression appears, this is what people are reporting, the, the, the emotional sensation that they're experiencing. So I was trying to find what are the commonalities. So clearly when you're angry because somebody's wronged you and you have an aggressive expression, there's a lot of negative affect and negative emotion that accompanies it. But if you're doing that aggressive expression because you just nailed that exam, that's a, it's not, it's a positive affect, right? And it's even in that case, maybe even a, an expression of power. So these different situations have very different flavors. But what we were able to find was that the through line with the aggressive expressions was that there was a strong orientation of wanting to go. 
wanting to move, wanting to approach, wanting to propel forward. There was this momentum aspect to it. And we contrasted that with smiling conditions, and we ran a, a whole battery of studies. And then we also contrasted it with crying. So crying when you're happy, you know, because you've accomplished something, maybe receiving a diploma. Crying uh, when you've had a windfall, maybe, you know, winning bazillions of dollars, maybe crying um, because you're sad, crying because, or making even that pouty face, pronounced pouty face because you've seen a very adorable puppy or baby, right? So we looked again for a through line there for these for these crying expressions. What we found is that people wanted to stop. They wanted to be still. They wanted to take in that moment, whether or not it was taking it in because they were wanting to recover or wanting to savor. There seemed to be this sort of stop orientation. And so when you think about that go orientation or that stop and savor orientation, that immediately starts you thinking about the reward system in the brain. That immediately starts you thinking about how might these things map on to what we already know in neuroscience about this dissociable system of reward, where one part of it is about wanting the urge to go and get. It's an antsiness. It's a desire to move forward. And the other, the actual, you know, refractory or consumatory part of when you actually stop to indulge, to savor, or even refractory once you're sated to to actually um, be dormant until the next cycle where you where you approach again. And so, mapping that on, it made sense that maybe when you you know you've seen a cute puppy and you're you know you have the aggression thing going that you're going to be in more of a go, and that might be something that you can record, um, looking for that uh, indices of reward in EEG. So um, there's a group in Riverside that actually recently did that, and they were looking for that relationship. They were looking for, you know, the emotional salience, clearly, that it was an emotional event, but also trying to tie it into that reward. And it, and indeed, they, they did find that, that, that that reward system seems to be a part of it. So um, not only have we looked at what these things represent, but also what they communicate. And so they seem to really clearly communicate to others you know, when you see that aggressive thing, people immediately understand that that is a go signal. And when they see the crying, they know it's a stop signal. And I think that could be part of why we do these things. Because after all, what, why wouldn't smiling be enough? Why can't you just look at the adorable baby and smile and smile more and smile, smile more? Why isn't that enough, right? Why does it have to turn to these other types of expressions? And I think it's for its ability, those expressions have an ability to communicate these other dimensions, what we call motivational orientations. And so that's what my labs are working on. So we just actually completed a, a study looking for that reward pathway, so contrasting the crying from the aggression. And, and those things, those results will be out soon in the next few months. But, um, but yeah, that's how we think it might layer on. That's great. And I'm looking forward to that study. It sounds like one barometer that we can use is that the cuter something is, the more go time it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny too, because it's like, we have those two expressions, right? We will go to, oh, and we'll do the, uh, but it's funny because I think that because the ones that are like a go, like I'm going to go get that baby eventually, right? It's like, I need to get to that baby. I think that that kind of expression may only show up when 
you know, when it's like a photograph or some way that you're not going to um, scare or insult the baby's parents, right? I can't imagine a stranger doing that to someone's baby, right? But you would do it to your niece or your nephew or your own kid, or you would do it to a photo, like, oh, it's so cute. But I don't know that people would do that as much to strangers. But I think that they do the, oh, the sit back. So in other words, I'm not going to touch your baby. I think your baby's really cute, but I'm just going to stop right there and enjoy it, right? So that that would give you a reason why, in one case, someone might go, oh, and in another case, might go, err, you know. <laughs> well, and on the stranger's beat, there might be something pathological there, which is worth examining as well. We are a medical platform. And on that, that note, I don't want to put you in, a, in an uncomfortable spot, but I think of pathological reasons that might alter someone's reward system, you know, mood disorders, uh, personality disorders, and wondering if this response then becomes a type of barometer for that if they can't elicit a dimorphous expression. I don't, you know, I don't think so, because I think there's a large enough portion of the population that that says they're not doing these things spontaneously. So I think it was only around 50 to 60 percent of people say they do the aggressive one. And for the pouting one, it was actually a little higher, closer to 65, 70 percent. And in the surveys that I've taken or the data I've collected, I don't think that it's so normed that to not do it creates an outlier. But it is interesting, and there there are some disorders that are interesting to me, where you know sometimes when people have flat affect, or in other cases where people are not good about controlling their affect or affective responses, I think it's an interesting place to look to try to understand a little bit better. Well, let me ask you then, my last question to you, where do you see the next research targets? Is there more to investigate in the cuteness field? Clearly, there must be. Oh, in the cuteness field. Well, in the cuteness field, I'm actually looking at engagement and enduring engagement. So it seems to me a lot of our researchers looked at how well cuteness captures attention. And that was one of your earlier questions was, you know, why, how do we quantify it? Actually, a lot of really great work has been done looking at the actual physical features that bring about appraisals of cuteness. And there are canonical features, large eyes, rounded cheeks, rounded features, big bodies, I mean, sorry, big head to small body ratios. There are these things that when they're present, we make an attribution that, oh, that is cute. And then we, all the, all the good feelings of I want to care for it, nurture it, take care of it, follow. And so our research so far has shown this attention capture and these sort of immediate responses, but I'm curious about enduring responses. It seems to me like cuteness, it doesn't get old. You know, it just, it, it's like has a constant refresh signal, you know, and, and if you, you know, if you're familiar with neuroscience, you know that we habituate a lot to things in our environment. We're not aware of most of what's going on when, when it's, you know, not vital or not a central focus, control focus at that moment. And so it's interesting how cuteness, it seems like it just continues to recapture attention. And so I've been working on that question, curious about how cuteness might recapture attention. It makes sense, right? If you have a child, you need to be engaged with a very small child, especially when they're in those really cute ages when they begin to roll over and, and you know, scoot around or even begin to walk. You know, they're especially cute at those times, and they're also needing the most intense vigilant care because they're going to go and roll off or scoot off or, you know, um, get into things that could be dangerous. And so it's important that we're vigilant. And so it would make sense that we would, that cuteness should be able to attach and hold our attention in that time. That's the cute research. 
And I love it. We're going to have to coin that term too. Cute research. Yeah, it's a cute research. I mean, I'm doing dimorphic expressions too. Um, they are they are splintered off. They are two different lines. The dimorphism is really cool because I want to really understand that what it is that we're communicating um, and why we do these things. And so I feel like I've gotten a thread to pull here trying to understand these motivational orientations and why we might express. And so I'm pulling on that thread, you know, and I'm now going after, you know, understanding and pain expressions when things are really, really pleasurable. Why do we have an expression of pain? And so I'm, I'm pulling on those threads to try to understand and might help us understand why our face you know, does what it does all the time if we can understand these expressions. So I'm really excited about the work. Well, Dr. Argon, thank you in turn for helping us pull the thread on this idea of the psychological and neurological basis of cute aggression. Um, it's great having you on the program. Look to have you again sometime. Thank you. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. To access this and other episodes, visit ReachMD.com, where you can be part of the knowledge. Thanks for listening.